This is Inside the Box. Hello, everybody. This is Trevor Barrett, and I'm here, as always, with my great friend, David Blakesley. David, how are you doing? I'm um, happy to be talking with you again, Trevor. Uh, looking forward to this conversation. It's one that, uh, it's a film set that sort of took me by surprise a little bit. I, mean, <laughs> I figured I'd like it, but there's so many fascinating dimensions. I'm really eager to just jump into the chat with you as we talk about the Infernal Affairs Trilogy. The Infernal Affairs Trilogy. One of the recent releases from Criterion came out in, was it November 2022? Mm-hmm. So we're just a few a few months after that release. Uh, this this set includes the three films: Infernal Affairs One, Infernal Affairs Two, and Infernal Affairs Three. <laughs> All of them from the early two thousands. Uh, the first one came out in two thousand two, and then Infernal Affairs Three actually in two thousand three. So you know, <laughs> squeeze yeah. in the middle there, Infernal Affairs Two. Um, I had not seen any of these films when they came out. I, I, I knew of the existence of Infernal Affairs, thanks to Martin Scorsese's The Departed, which I'm sure we'll talk about. Um, but I never did go back and watch it. I didn't know it was a trilogy. And when I saw that it was a trilogy, I assumed, hey, maybe it's maybe this is a like a really... Maybe Martin Scorsese condensed the trilogy right. into one film. Because how can they have... Infernal Affairs two after after yeah. everything that happens in Infernal Affairs one and then three come well, on yeah. well if if you're expecting you know if basing on the Departed I mean there is a significant difference in the endings yes the Departed and but but you didn't know that I didn't so know that old, everybody dies in the Departed you're like what else could they do <laughs> <laughs> oops is that too soon for spoilers <laughs> sorry about that yeah. well I mean come on we, we're yeah. gonna spoil. I actually I don't know if I'm going to spoil these films very much. There's so many twisty, turny yeah. ins and outs, and I'm not a hundred percent sure I will be super coherent, <laughs> which is yeah. okay. I'm okay with that because uh, first off, I, I'm I'm here with you, um, mm-hmm. but second, I think part of the point of these films is that it's it's. I mean, there's a reason it's like the Inferno. I mean, it is twisty, spirally. Um, descent and mm-hmm. and a little bit um, surreal, uh, not because anything that happens is you know supernatural, but just wow, you know how can this yeah. keep on getting worse or more twisted? And you realize this is kind of <laughs> kind of the way some things must be for people. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so I, I think it fits. Yeah, yeah, you know, um, I think when we were talking about you know what our next episode would be, I, I kind of threw this out there. It's like, well, let's just do one of the recent Criterion box sets just to kind of check it out, you know, because we tended to go a little bit more into the back catalog. It's like, okay, so here we've got this new thing, and as as with you, I had not seen this film before and had only known of it f- through reputation. Uh, but you know, I had the box set. I you see the cover image here of the mm-hmm. you know the two young men dressed in black, the dramatic mountains of Hong Kong and Kowloon City right behind them. They're on a rooftop. It's outdoors. The big blue sky, this kind of uh, you know vast indifferent heaven that's looking down on this uh, very dangerous encounter. So you know, that's a pretty striking image right there. You know, the back cover kind of gives you. Uh, a little sense of the uh, the tension that these films deliver, uh, a bracing, explosively stylish critical and commercial triumph. 
dazzling level of narrative, thematic complexity, gripping saga, you know, so yeah, you're definitely feeling like this is going to be intense, you know, there's going to be guns, there's going to be double crosses, there's going to be suspense, betrayal, you know, dirty deals, uh, shady characters, twists and surprises, you know, you didn't see that coming, and, you know, these films live up to the hype, <laughs> yeah. uh, and, and it really was quite a, you know, uh, after I, I watched the, the three films over the course of a few days, uh, just like last week, because I've been busy with other podcasting projects, and I had I, this one was kind of scheduled. It's like, okay, we have to cram it in there. <laughs> so I watched the three films, and I'm like, oh boy, <laughs> like what you said about coherence. It's like, uh, yeah, I'm going to have to talk about these things uh, intelligently in a few more days. So I've really dedicated the last several nights to revisiting all three films, listening to the commentaries on the first two that are provided in the set, watching all the supplements, which fortunately kind of taper off from one disc to the next. So it wasn't as an mm-hmm. un- unmanageable workload, but there's still a lot of plot going on here. And then when you get yeah. to the second and the third, you get all sorts of additional layers of nuance, some which work better than others. I'll just say that. <laughs> um, but yeah, what a what an immersive saga this really is. And and I also agree that that kind of surreal element, or I would even say kind of more mythic or, or archetypal element is what really, you know, is like sort of like my enduring takeaway Be, beyond the surface stylistics and the you know, the shock value of those first time that you see some of those twists and turns. It's like, this is truly an epic story that has massive scale, even though it's got a very localized setting, uh, you know, a very large and impressive and historically uh, fascinating city of Hong Kong, uh, set during the time of its transition from British colonial rule back to Chinese rule. Uh, and the tensions happening within just the, the wider culture. You've also got the, the 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 standoff between the police and these triad gangs, two powerful institutions that are sort of locked into this stalemate where neither side is ever going to go away. Neither side is ever going to have that crushing definitive victory to put the put the other side out of business. And so they're stuck in this kind of state of tension uh, and and animosity and even frustration. And that's kind of like the perpetual hell that the the title is kind of referring to and is kind of spelled out in the little prologue there, uh, citing Buddhist scriptures and, and, you know, even with the visuals, you know, the, the statues of the Buddha and this kind of descending, you know, downward spiral that you're in, it really places this story in a, in a much broader context than just, you know, you know, who's the mole and, and who's going to reveal their identity and who's going to trip up first and, and slip when, when the con, you know, when the, when the conflict rises to its boiling point. Mm-hmm. And it is so fun just as a good, good cop. Uh, oh yeah. Right, drama. Right. Uh, yeah. Almost, you know, almost Godfather-esque in some ways of, in terms mm-hmm. of its scope and twists and turns and, and trying to figure out whose loyalties you can rely on and who's about to double cross you. It's so fun. Um, but they're, they're clearly being very ambitious, especially with the sequels. I think they're, yes, they're really there in those. It seems to me, it becomes a little bit more overtly about some of the themes mm-hmm. and some of them are going to go completely over my head. I mean, it says on the back of the box, uh, steeped in Buddhist philosophy. And unfortunately, though I'd be very interested in understanding it better, 
it's not something that I'm familiar with to the point where I would mm-hmm. understand it. Like I don't, I, each of these has kind of a subtitle to mm-hmm. the, to the film, you know, infernal affairs one, and then it has um, a, a subtitle and I don't really understand some of those, uh, what they might be referring to. And so I, I, you know, that would be a, a good thing for me to to dig into more. But boy, I sure do love these films, you know. Yeah. Oh, some, yeah. some more than others, you know. Again, we'll right. probably get into some of the the things that were like, oh, what? <laughs> but boy, <laughs> yeah, yeah. that it was it for me too was a great um, you know, immersive experience, like you said. It was it was a pleasure after the end of the first one to be like, there are two more. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got to see these. I'm <laughs> yeah, so excited. Yeah. They're right here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you can take them, you know, I, you know, you can take number one and just leave it at that. You know, I mean, you know, we, we, we don't have to analyze the whole trilogy as, as a group quite at this point, mm-hmm. but you're right. The first one is incredibly taught, you know, no fat, no uh, unnecessary sidebars. Everything is just like on a rail that just takes you in, on this incredible ride. Um, and it is super enjoyable, you know, on the rewatch, even after you know all the things that happen in parts two and three, uh, it really is a, a pretty wonderful standalone film that delivers the goods in terms of the charisma of its star performers. Uh, and I think there's four stars to this film, you know, as well as good side characters. Um, you know, Andy Lau and, and Tony Leung are the two, uh, obviously, marquee leads, but uh, Inspector Wong and and Sam, the the kind of slightly rotund gang boss, they are every bit as perfect and delightful. They're just maybe not as, you know, teen heartthrob bait as those other two guys are. But but really incredible performances. Uh, the gloss, the sheen, the look, uh, the the capturing of the city of Hong Kong, the locations. Uh, yeah, the suspense, the dynamics of just kind of what's happening. Um, you know, some of it flies by and you probably are not going to catch all those details until you get to the rewatch, unless you're super perceptive or maybe super familiar and entrenched in this type of filmmaking. Uh, that's not that's not my background. I mean, I've seen my share of crime films, but I don't, I'm not like automatically drawn to them, which is why I haven't gotten around to watching these until now. But uh, now that I have, it's like, wow, this is really fascinating stuff. And you do feel like you're watching sort of a peak example of a genre film um, and even a, a peak example of, of kind of Hong Kong cinema. And that's kind of brought out in the supplements about where these films kind of rank in the in the evolution of this, you know, pretty unique film scene. And in some people's uh, views, at least maybe its last blaze of glory before you know, the Hong Kong's cinema sort of lost some of its independence in order to having to conform more to, you know, mainland Chinese uh, expectations and just maybe just lost some of that distinctiveness uh, when the government switched over and when Hong Kong just kind of went through a transition itself, as well as, you know, the growth of the movie industry and the, the difficulty of competing on that global level when you are this kind of small niche market, you know, uh, it's hard to think of Hong Kong as being small, but in the big scope of things, you know, they're, they're bit players and yet what a fascinating culture and city and, you know, story to tell, you know, in the, in this setting. So yeah, just, just a really marvelous variety of angles to approach these films from. Ooh, and which to choose, which to choose as we jump in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, I wouldn't mind 
just because maybe some of our listeners would be in a similar spot, just my own personal approach mm-hmm. to it by way of the departed. I'm not interested necessarily. We can go as much as we want, but I'm not trying right. to say, let's turn right. this into a departed episode by any means. But, you know, the departed came out just a few years later in 2006 yeah. And was a pretty big deal here in the States. It won Best Picture for Martin Scorsese and, you know, has Leonardo DiCaprio and Matt Damon playing the 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 main leads, you know, um, mm-hmm. that are played here by uh, Tony Leung and Andy Lau. And it's twisty and turny. You've got Jack Nicholson uh, in a really, you know, like heady role of the the crime yeah. boss that in this particular case is is played by Eric Singh um and oh I'm, uh, my name is is blinking um Martin Sheen Martin Sheen yeah. mm-hmm. Martin mm-hmm. Sheen playing the the police officer who's you know kind of trying to protect the the police officer who's in entrenched in the mafia you know in in the crime uh lords you know, inner, inner circle and Mm -hmm. here played by Anthony Wong, as you, as you mentioned before. So big deal, you know, again, wins best picture. I thought it was fantastic. And got Scorsese the best director, which was the key. Yeah. Yeah, That Mm -hmm. was the key. right? Yeah. Yeah. Good call. Yeah. The, the, like his first one, I remember there being quite a backlash to the departed, like, Oh, that, you know, they just gave it to Scorsese because he, it was his turn for his other times, you know, but I, I, I genuinely loved this film. I remember being on the edge of my seat as I oh, watched yeah. it and completely thrown by every twist and turn. And I still enjoy a good rewatch. I think it's very well put together mm-hmm. and, you know, very flashy and very cinematic and, and appealing to the eyes and to, you know, all my, I mean, Martin Scorsese had me in the palm of his hand as I watched that. You're right. uh, it's- it's a masterful project and an uh, example of what he can do. I am probably the fact that he wins best director for, for helming a remake is probably a bit of a, mm. a knock, but it's a cheap shot to me, you know, because I mean, cinema is in a sense, a, a form of plagiarism. If you, if you really get into it, even the greatest films uh, are never wholly unique. They're, they're kind of a, a, a a crystallization of things that have come before it that maybe they take to a new level. Now, the fact that you can take a, a movie that is almost recreated plot for plot, you know, bit point by point, bit by bit, uh, you know, that's okay, but you still got to pull it off and you still got to mm-hmm. execute it. So you've got the material handed to you in a way, but making that transition from Hong Kong to Boston, from Buddhist context to Catholic context, uh, that's mm-hmm. not an easy feat. It could have easily been fumbled or just, you know, a, a hatchet job. And so uh, I, I feel like Scorsese's, you know, achievements were recognized and deserved and, and appropriate. Well, and even some of his great shots in The Departed are callbacks to, mm-hmm. say, The Third Man or something oh, right, like right. that. I mean, he is, he is, he He's made this his own it, in right, many right. ways. The story, mm-hmm. maybe not so much, but what a great story to decide to to play with and make, make your own. I mean, and I think he does it. So, so I was, I was always interested in watching Infernal Affairs again, Mm -hmm. not knowing it was a trilogy or, or if I ever did assuming again, that it must be just a larger scale of the, whatever Scorsese turned into the departed. I was very surprised as I'm watching Infernal Affairs for the first time in November to see that 
this is the departed in many ways, you know, again, I, it's been a while since I've seen the departed. So I, I'm not going to go beat by beat again. And, and the ending and thinking there are two more, but still <laughs> the thing yeah. that I loved is I'm watching infernal affairs and I'm not thinking about the departed. I, okay. you know, yeah. I got, I started knowing that that was what was turned into the departed and then it was gone. This was wholly its own thing as well. I loved getting into this world. I loved these characters right. as themselves. I wasn't watching Eric saying play the crime boss and thinking, oh, how would Jack Nicholson have done this at all? I never did. I mean, I might every once in a while have been like, oh, I, I kind of think I know what's coming. Um, but that's just because I was invested in the story and, you know, was trying to, to think it through. I was, you know, just as on the edge of my seat as I watched the the first of these films. Uh, just, just loved it. Andy, a- Andy Lau and Tony Leung. Holy cow! Yeah. What, what magnetism? What? <laughs> how, how much yeah. do I just say? Yeah. Thanks for putting two more up there. You know <laughs> that we can get back to these characters and watch these two, uh, just play their play these roles a bit more. I yeah, you know, it. and I, and I didn't really know anything about Andy Lau. Uh, obviously, you see Tony Leung and the Wong Kar Wai movies, and you know that that sort of speaks for itself as far as his star presence and power. Andy Lau was a, a new face to me, but he's like you just check this guy out after a few minutes. Like, okay, this guy's a big deal <laughs> to people who are you know following of whatever Hong Kong pop culture. I don't even still to this moment know what other movies he was in besides his appearances in you know, the first and the third of the trilogy. Um, but yeah, I, I totally understand why people would come to see this movie just because those two guys faces are pretty prominent on the poster and revisit the film, you know, and, and watch it multiple times, which I think was a big piece of its, you know, domestic success for sure. Uh, you know, they've got the star power that we think about with Leonardo DiCaprio, Matt Damon and Jack Nicholson in particular, those are three guys that, you know, have American and Western movie audiences coming into the theater. Just, Oh, this is the new Leo movie. Like I gotta go check it out. <laughs> and that, and those guys have been in that role for many years. I mean, Nicholson going all the way back to the, even the late sixties with easy rider, you know, he wasn't the main star of that movie, but he was pretty, pretty big presence in it. And obviously kind of kicked his career to a pretty legendary level as far as American uh, Hollywood movies are concerned. So, yeah, so you definitely see, you know, great talent on display here. And, um, you know, even, even the supporting cast, I've already mentioned a couple others, but even the women who are um, mm-hmm. featured in fairly small roles, but there's still some significance to them. You can just tell, yeah, these are, these are people who are probably popular, appealing faces within the, the Hong Kong entertainment scene. Yeah. All right. Well, should we should we discuss yeah, yeah. some of the the goings on in sure. in these films? Do you want to do it one by one, or do you want to? See well, I, I think I think the... yeah, we should probably handle each film separately, just to kind of give it its own little okay. showcase. And probably the first one is the one that I am the most you know taken with. But yeah, so basically, uh, we we've got uh, the double the double mole setup, which I think is the the unique thing. There's been all kinds of stories over the years about cops who go undercover for a period of time, they infiltrate a gang and they kind of get the inside scoop and then they set up the gang for a bust and, and, you know, justice prevails. And that is going on here. But, but the unique part that, that kind of sets this story in motion is the fact that 
the gang boss has the same idea. Uh, he's going to take a number of his young recruits, uh, you know, young men who've got clean records, and get them into the triad gang mentality and discipline and training, but then also get them recruited into the police department, and in particular the Anti-Triad Bureau, the OCTB, um, which is it was Organized Crime and Triad Bureau, something like that, uh, so that they've got some sources on the inside to say, what do the cops know about us? What, are, what actions are they taking to slow us down or to disrupt our schemes? And so you've got this you know, back and forth where sort of what I had said earlier, you've got these two kind of formidable institutional entities, the, you know, the triad gangs, which go back, you know, many, many years in, in Chinese culture and especially have settled into Hong Kong to where they, they are a very, le- not, not legitimate in the sense of legality, but they are a, a, an imposing presence that's not going to go away. They, they control turf, they control commerce, they've got the loyalty of people, much like the mafia or other kind of organized crime gangs in other parts of the world, these triads kind of have their turf staked out and you know, the cops could come in, sweep them up, and, and there'd just be a whole bunch of young bucks who would come up and, and take over. Uh, and so, yeah, these two, these two young men are brought into it. Uh, we don't really know the full background until the second movie of why the officer who'd completed his cadet training is expelled from the academy you just get the sense that there's a disciplinary issue or something going on Mm -hmm. but he's he's uh rejected from uh being a regular police officer but he's taken under the wing of inspector wong and says look i've got a rule for you you can get you you've got you know uh the ability to get into the gang go through the triad initiations become part of their world report to me and my fellow officer will take care of you. You'll be, you know, um, provided for in some way. Uh, it's dangerous, but this is the mission that we've assigned you to. And he takes it on. And, uh, and this is, this is, well, he, he goes by Chen in some con- you know conversations or Yan. Mm-hmm. I kind mm-hmm. of, okay. I, I go with Chen. Is that, is that okay. what you said? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so Chen is, is the Tony Leung character and he's the one who's, you know, in the gang. He's witnessing all the criminal activities uh, under his boss, Sam. And after a few years under Sam's tutelage, he's he's earned, you know, the trust. So he's a little bit more of an elevated member of the gang. He's certainly not the boss. He's not even the number two. But he's one of the trusted inner circle that Sam can turn to to say, you know, what do you think we should do? And just kind of got to get some advice and consent. And then Lau, he is the uh, very sharp, up-and-coming young cop. He's you know aced his exams. He's got all the discipline. He's got just all that uh, that personal star presence that we've talked about from Andy Lau, just as a personality, as a as a person, as an actor, uh, just as a you know he he looks the part. He looks like the guy who's on his way to you yeah. know upper management. And uh, and at the same time, he's the one who's relaying to the crime boss, you know, all the things that uh, Inspector Wong and his, his his team are up to. And it all sort of manifests in this really fascinating opening sequence of a of a drug smuggling operation where some Thai drug you know peddlers are going to come in with bags full of cocaine on a boat and uh, they're going to make a big deal infuse a lot of drugs into the Hong Kong market and uh, you know you know 
give Sam another kind of triumph in his in his life as a crime boss. But yeah, th- th- that's where the the tension really begins to develop, and uh, you see all of this back and forth. It's kind of like a techno spy thriller because this is also involving the use of cell phone technology, uh, video surveillance, mm-hmm. computers, instant communications over you know you know long distances, kind of wireless. This is kind of the early years of the two thousands, uh, and and so it's it's pretty amazing just to kind of see some of that technology being integrated into the story as well and as a viewer again on that first time it's just going back and forth it's flying past you pretty quick you may not pick up every single detail but you recognize there's a lot of communication going on that's nonverbal, and it's it's throwing the completion of this deal into some kind of jeopardy so yeah that's that's kind of the opening flash right there and i love it when they start to realize something is up and it's after that drug yeah. deal gone wrong because they both realize that for this to have ended the way that it did with yes they the cops are right the cops knew about this deal happening and then when the cops get there realizing someone tipped these guys off to get rid right. of the evidence and and what does this all mean there must That's be right. a mole inside and we've been you know we already understand this a little bit but boy, that that's where this becomes so fun is the game of cat and mouse mm-hmm. for each side, um, particularly for the main players of Sam and and the, you know, uh, Tony Leung or to, sorry, the, Sam and the Andy Lau character mm-hmm. uh, trying to figure out how can we keep you safe within the police officers, you know, union <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, admittedly, Sam probably doesn't care a ton about the, you know, his his henchmen in there so much as he cares about the information and just making sure that this stays stays going. We get a little bit more about maybe some personal relationship stuff in the future, but at this point, you know, who knows? But we do know that Eric, um, the the Eric, or sorry. I, can, I am going to have a, the hardest <laughs> time with these with yeah. these characters. We do know that the Anthony Wong uh, police chief okay. cares a great deal about the Tony Leung uh, character who is the mole inside of the criminal operation. He recognizes his safety is in jeopardy. Um, it's dangerous every single day. And them meeting is dangerous. Passing information is dangerous. And he also takes a bit of, you know, he's worried about just his psychological well-being because right. he has to play two roles. He can't he can't be part of this particular criminal operation and not be a criminal. He right. does have right. to be someone who will go in there and and rough people up and shoot people and and you know, he has to play the part. Right. If they're going he's, to he's snorting do cocaine this. to test mm-hmm. the purity of the drug. He's you know, he's he's willing to shoot and even kill people. He he has a, a, some sense of legal immunity like if he's ever arrested, you know, which you, happens. You hope, right. <laughs> but you'd hope that the legal system at some point Inspector Wong will will back him up and and give him some kind of you know, uh, lack of punishment for the crimes that he's committed, but there's still the psychological effect of having to do those things of being a truly criminal. You you are doing criminal stuff Mm -hmm. and there's no getting around that. Uh, and yet, uh, Inspector Wong does not want to lose the angle of, of this very well-placed we've, we've and strategically effective mold. Right, right. Exactly. (laughs) You know, we, we, we've got these, 
we, we've got the potential to make a really big takedown. Obviously, it's not going to make the triads go away, but if we could, if we could crush Sam and his whole operation, that's a pretty big dent. You know, that's going to mm-hmm. take the triads a long time to to replace that, and and so we've got at least a little bit of reprieve from the flood of drugs and violence and other forms of corruption that that are coming into our city that the police are ostensibly trying to prevent. But yeah, that and that's where again the, the moral ambiguity of all of this comes in as well because you've also got uh, you know Officer Lau who's doing police things and he is mm-hmm. supporting the efforts of the police force to arrest and apprehend criminals to bring them to justice to send them to jail. Really, the only thing that he's doing that is truly of a criminal nature is the betrayal of police secrets. So it doesn't incorporate the same level of violence and, you know, putting yourself at risk on a physical sense where bullets are flying around you. Obviously the life of a cop, you know, is dangerous and, and there is that always that potential for violence there, but he's really he's not more even the that intel kind of a, guy. Yeah. Exactly. He's not a frontline cop. He's not on the streets. He's not going to be the one who's going to be, you know, armored up and, and, you know, weapons blazing when they come in to, to do a raid or something like that. So, you know, but, but he's also, you know, in the process of building loyalties, he's working alongside these police officers, Mm -hmm. you know, they're, they've got a mission, they're pursuing it, which is to bust organized crime. And how can you not be somewhat affected by that as you get to know these people on a personal level and you're, Part of the same ongoing effort, but you're also <laughs> leaking information. So, so the effect that these kind of double crossings and betrayals have on the inner person, I think, you know, it's, oh, it's, it's love. It, I love it, it, it exactly. <laughs> and, and the thing is, it's not it's not like expanded on, especially in the first movie, because it's very it's very straightforward. It's it's just in moments. It's in glances and and expressions, and you can sort of see the wheels turning, or you can see the the, the moral internal wrestling going on. Uh, but it's you know, it, but but it's it's delivered with with great subtlety and effect. You sort of put yourself into their situation and think, wow, what would that be like? How how would I respond if I was hmm. in the middle of a dilemma of that sort? And both of them, in a way, trying to escape in Inspector Lau because he realizes, hey, I'm good at this. Part yeah. of it's because I'm getting fed information, but I'm actually pretty good at this too, and I'm successful. I have mm-hmm. money. I have. A, I'm starting a family. Mm-hmm. I've got these good relationships. Kind of the good guy. How can I shake Sam? You yeah. Know, how can this, I make this thing this that he was away? roped into? Yeah, he was roped mm-hmm. into as a young person before he really knew what his options in life were. Maybe he didn't have much of a uh, of a prospect for the future. But now that he's sort of had this taste of legitimacy and sees the possibilities of moving up into, you know, police commander status or, or even higher. Yeah. Well, why would I want to mess all that up by having this old gangster baggage in my background uh, and this loyalty to something, a cause that maybe I no longer believe in. Mm-hmm. But and you also you know, have also Chen. Got, oh, go mm-hmm. ahead. Well, but but he's still got that criminal nature inside. You know, it's like, right. can I really change my colors and, and loyalties <laughs> He's just, he, he's right, always right, going right. to be corrupt, right? Right. Because he just, I mean, the things he does, even when he's, I mean, and he's got to protect his his past. He's he's always yeah. going to have these demons haunting him. Mm-hmm. He's mm-hmm. always going to be protecting himself. He's always going to choose himself over even his, you know, family. He yeah. he's he he recognizes that in order for him to be successful, his his own self image 
is going to require corruption. He's totally fine doing that as long as no one else catches him. He's fine um, ruining people who who might be on to him. Right. You know, he will he will figure out a way to get rid of that person. Um, and then you have Chen on the other side who is becoming, you know, as we said earlier, an, an actual criminal um, be, in order to play this role and starting to question how can you be different having his own life totally ruined. I mean, how do you come out of the other end of this? Even if you do everything that you guys have set out to do, you get rid of the whole triad, everybody <laughs> it's gone. Yeah. There are no more, right. no more criminals. How do you become okay again with who you are? Yeah. And or who are you even at, at yeah, the end of all yeah. that? Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, what is he really about as a person? What is his, uh, career these last 10 years that he's invested in following inspector wong's orders and also following the directions that he's been receiving from various gang lords and bosses as he's kind of worked his way up the ranks i mean he's done all of this stuff but what does he have to show for it other than a lot of pain bad memories physical injuries you're, you're always seeing him with, with with bandages and mm-hmm. a cast on his wrist yeah. and bruised up and cuts and <laughs> because like, because he yeah, has to be yeah. tested per, yeah. persistently as well i mean sam doesn't necessarily trust him always sam wonders you know realizes there is a, a mole among us i wonder if it's you mm-hmm. and is well, it's you just know, the nature of the organized crime. It's right. like they're always holding on to secrets. There's always something hot that somebody else could take and exploit. Uh, there's no loyalty among thieves, as the old cliche goes. And so you've always, if you're going to be a crime boss for any length of time, you have to have your wits about you. You've got to be willing to mistrust even your closest associates and take preventive measures to make sure that even if they do betray you, you've got some kind of layer of protection to stop it from going all the way, you know? And, and that's, that's the, these are the triple quadruple levels of paranoia and guardedness and mistrust suspicion. Uh, you've got to deceive your own associates so that they don't really know what you're thinking so that they, that you're kind of, you're always keeping certain plans close to the vest because if everybody, if anybody knows everything that you've got going on, you're just that much more vulnerable. I mean, so, so the, the psychological mind games and the twistedness and the corruption is just kind of maddening. And, and even within the police, you know, uh, Lao sees enough to know that the police have their own sort of moral compromises and, and shady deals going on. You know, uh, there's, there's, there's definitely scenes of, uh, well, like when, when they bring Sam in, in after the drug bust, the, the, the failed drug bust, you know, they still round up the gang and they bring him in. And there's Sam sitting there at a big table full of, you know, Chinese takeout there. And he's just chopping away at it. So, I so love there's, it when, when we yeah, meet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and so there's Wong and there's Sam. And they're just talking to each other, just kind of like old associates. It's just just like, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. we've been in this game for long enough that we know the deal. Uh, I can't, I don't have the evidence to put you away. The lawyers will come in and find a way to get you off the hook. So, you know, you're going to be walking out of here, but we're going to try to, you know, rough you up and make you feel as, as tense and uncomfortable as we can. And the gangster is doing the same thing. You can't touch me. Here's my guys. You know what we're about, but you know we're we're kind of invincible. Um, Lau is seeing that there's a certain complicity between the cops and the gangs. That you know they've kind of accepted each other's role, and that kind of coexistence, if you will, 
really cuts against the the police's self-proclaimed mission of protecting and serving. You know, they're they're just kind of maintaining and containing is what they're doing. They're not really eliminating the the forces of evil and corruption. They're just finding sort of a a, a point of balance where you know we we can sort of all get along. Well, that kind of messes up a sense of <laughs> a young man's mission and identity and and goals and purpose as well because you've got to you've got to find your kind of point of compromise with the bad guys when that doesn't seem like something the the police ought to be doing. Yeah. But there is one honorable policeman, <laughs> even though among all of that, at least sure. from, from some perspectives, uh, inspector Wong, just his, I'm going to go back to this just a little bit. I know we talked about it, but mm-hmm. the, the idea that he thinks we got to figure out a way to pull you out of being yeah. undercover and also recognizes I'm your only link to who you really are, you know, in quotes, yeah. who you really are. And if if something happens to me, it's it almost it, it essentially results in the complete erasure of your actual past, Chen's actual past. You know, this mm-hmm. this poor poor youngster as well who is young to the point where I honestly, when I watch those two scenes of those two young, I have a hard time remembering which is which <laughs> yeah the, the, they they're not played by the same actors and right um and they and, have a certain similarities of appearance i mean they're i wonder if that was deliberate yeah. yeah i mean you know that at that they, particular time they were clay yeah. to be molded and in, in a way and not they they don't look that much like <laughs> like tony leung and andy lau to right, me right they look a lot more like each other and I haven't read anything or that this is the first time I've been thinking about it. I wonder if there's some bit of we're okay with that being every once in a while you jumping into a scene and not really knowing. But then again, it could just be my chauvinistic, you know, <laughs> I, yeah. I'm i not in Hong Kong. I'm I, my eyes and, and sensibilities of features and such are not attuned. And, and mm-hmm. I, I hate to sound that way. Like I might think they all look alike. I, I, right. But, but there's probably a bit of that playing a role too. And I'll just admit it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that they were, they were cast uh, as just kind of attractive, young rising actors. Uh, I think one of them was an actor and singer. The other one's kind of a more of like a model, but you know, they probably just had the inside angle on getting these plum roles and uh you know we'll talk about them more when we get to the second film but yeah so you know you didn't want to try to make tony leung look like a teenager i guess and, and same with andy lau so could do it today yeah yeah <laughs> they didn't have the digital tools to de-age them <laughs> that they might nowadays but in any case yeah so that's that really kind of just sets up the, the whole conflict here where you know the, the the tensions have gotten to the point where um Sam is starting to feel more threatened by the police. Like, you know, they've been in this kind of stalemate for a while, but it feels like they're really trying to come down hard. They're really going to try to do me in and, and kind of bust up the gang. And that's just going too far. It's like the equilibrium has been upset. And so one side or the other is going to take the more aggressive action. And if you're, of course, if you're on the side of the, the triads, it's like, well, we're going to have to take out our, our prime adversary, which is mm-hmm. Inspector Wong. If they can, if they can mess him up or if they can turn the, you know, the OCTB to uh, sort of turn a blind eye and maybe deepen their level of corruption, then the gang comes out on top and they're allowed to prosper and flourish for a little bit longer. And so that's really kind of where the big 
you know, climactic, not really the climactic, but sort of the, the peak conflict more towards the middle of the movie comes up, which is when the, the gangs come in and they're going to try to go right into, you know, right into the headquarters and really try to you know, mess with Inspector Wong and, and, and take him out. And uh, Inspector Wong recognizes whether it's just sort of information leaked his way, or just that sense of danger that he's he's got a he's got to get a handle on this, and that's what leads to, you know, the pretty shocking and stunning hmm. demise of the inspector. Which I guess yeah, we are in spoiler territory here, but that one really blew me away when uh, when that occurred in the film about an hour or so into it uh it's this devastating is, yeah it, it is yeah because you like him but also again there's that you are the the sole connection for chen yeah to to any any possible post you know all of this life mm-hmm. it seems anyway yeah well and 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 chen doesn't really have any doesn't seem like there's any family to speak of there's there's he's really just a an isolated soul who is very much trapped in his, in the role that he's been kind of cast into Uh, again, a decade ago when he was just a young man uh, before maybe he even realized the magnitude of the decision that he was making. And maybe he didn't really think that he had much of a choice. I think it's another kind of undercurrent of, of these films is how much our destinies are shaped by forces that in some ways really are beyond our control. You know, the circumstances of of our birth and our upbringing, the influences of the people who were, you know, guiding or in some cases not really guiding us at all. Uh, You know, a young person just having to make their way in this world. And I think that's, again, where you get into some of the Hong Kong culture uh, of just, you know, this, massively impersonal machine of a society that just kind of grinds people up and consumes them and casts them into places or certain strata of society. And once you're there, that's it. The die is set. You, you, you are who you are and, and you're only going to be what those impersonal forces allow you to be. Or is that the case? I mean, at the very beginning of the film, Sam, when he's talking to his recruits, you know, kind of cuts against the conventional wisdom and says, you choose your own destiny. We choose our own mm-hmm. destiny. Even as he's really <laughs> using his power and his charisma to, to really lock men into yeah. this destiny of being a, a, a triad member, which is basically, you're probably going to have a short, fast life that's going to end with some form of violence or another. You're going to either go into prison, get shot in some kind of a, you know, a heist situation, uh, Certainly, you're going to get beat up. Even the initiations, from what I understand, are, are pretty horrendous. You know, they put you through a pretty tough physical ordeal uh, just to be part of the gang. And then the, to make your way up in that system, you've got to be willing to continue to commit those types of atrocities. So, yeah, so this whole question about destiny and free will, those those philosophical questions about how much control or choice do we really have over the events of our lives or who we become as human beings over the course of our existence, that's kind of all in the background. But I really feel like this film very deftly addresses those types of questions of, of uh, and again, in a society where it feels like conformism and yielding to power and just recognizing the smallness of your place in the big picture. Even if you're the boss of a triad gang, uh, you're still a very marked and controlled individual. You know, there's only certain options available to you. And uh, you, you get that with Sam. He, he recognizes that 
his his time is probably short um there's not maybe a whole lot more that he can look forward to maybe his best times are behind him of just getting to that pinnacle position in the first place and now it's just hanging on to it for as long as he can because you know the the end is near <laughs> because mm-hmm. of all the all the forces stacked against you all the people who want to put you out of business whether that's inside the gang or the police on the outside over and uh, under you yeah, in the game yeah exactly yeah you're you're a you're an isolated lonely individual yourself even though you're the supposed kingpin of this of this operation um the the in, the subtitle of this one is unceasing path and again i don't mm-hmm. know all that that might suggest to someone but a lot of what you just said kind of kind of feels you know this this idea of what here is just a path that you can't stop you've got to go Mm -hmm. down and what here is a path that you can choose um you know with with sam in particular telling his his people hey you, you you get to choose I mean, from him, that's just a rhetorical device. It's so that he right. can, it, it actually gives him more power over them because they feel like where they are is, is their responsibility and not just because of him. And he can use that um, and, and gain loyalty because it sounds like, hey, I'm a totally reasonable good guy here. Uh, there's so many ways that that works against him, but... But, well, yeah, yeah. Going along with the police is the idea of the conventional morality: being good, following the rules, doing the cautious, conservative thing, being proper. You know, that maybe even relates to sort of more the Confucian style of of uh, Chinese ethics and philosophy and religion, which is, you know, don't don't stand out. You know, do do what's proper. You know, make the moral choice. Uh, I'm not saying Buddhism is saying make the immoral choice or anything like that, but 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 it feels like um, there's a certain type of Buddhism that uh, the triads have embraced, which was maybe more of a ceremonial or even kind of a, um, I don't know, you know. But you you see the the Buddhist temple in the beginning of the mm-hmm. film and and the rituals, uh, the bracelets, the pouring out of the liquor, uh, the statues, all the all the the wealth. I mean, there's a certain sense of I don't know, sort of material prosperity um, that that they're drawing to that aspect of, of Buddhist practice. Mm-hmm. But that's eternal or unceasing path is kind of like that lowest circle of hell, that it's not even just the misery of, or punishment, but it's the unceasing nature of it, the fact that you're in this loop and you will always be there. You'll always be stuck. I mean, that's a very fearsome idea or concept you know and obviously within christianity and probably within other religions there is that that at least that that doctrine of eternal unceasing punishment for you know the sinful deeds that one has committed so this is kind of realizing that or 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 basing that on this idea that there is no escape you are absolutely stuck there's no relief there's no promise of of hope or redemption at the end and then, I mean, that's, you can't really get more of a bleak thought than that, right? <laughs> that, that misery is going to be fixed for all eternity and there's nothing you can do about it. Wow. That, that's pretty much <laughs> bottomed out right there, isn't it? Um, but, but that is kind of the, the concept that's, that's playing itself out here. So, you know, if you want to really take that idea seriously and run with it, this is a profoundly depressing film <laughs> because it's, it's trying to visualize or, or get you to think, what if these characters really are on this endless loop of, of just, you know, 
the worst type of experiences that a that a that a being could ex, you know could could be you know participate in, uh, and that's that's their destiny. That's their lot. Uh, wow. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> well, that that brings me to a lot of thoughts about the end. You yeah. know, sequence. Um, mm-hmm. We can maybe work our way there plot wise, but yeah, yeah. You know, so after after Inspector Wong has been kind of dispatched, now Chen is realizing. I have no allies there. I mean, well, he's got this psychiatrist that is kind of a very bit character in this film. And, you know, it's his, it's, it's his one place where he can just go and get a nap in. Right. <laughs> but, uh, you know, you don't really know why is he seeing her? What's that really all about? That that's kind of unpacked a little bit more um, in the later films. But uh, again, it's, it's a little bit of a, a moment of lightness or levity, I suppose, uh, that she's sitting there playing solitaire on her old uh, desktop computer while he's just kind of snoozed out for uh, his hour of, of so-called therapy. <laughs> um, but other than that, he is really kind of without really any options or, or other, other places to turn for, for some sense of relief. But there's also, you know, some possibility that he might be able to extricate himself if he can reveal the mole that he knows is in the police department, that might give him some leverage to, you know, you know, kind of get out of jail free. Yeah. And similarly, um, inspector Lau realizes, Hey, this is getting this. I'm actually still stepping up in this, uh, in this police force. Mm -hmm. And I might be able to figure out a way to get rid of Sam. And yeah, so he calls, um, he, he gets Inspector Wong's cell phone and calls Chen and they decide to work together, you know, kind of, or at least in some ways they're going yeah. to figure out a way to get rid of Han or Sam, which does work out. Right. It, it well, there's the up... big, sh- right. There's the big shootout when officer Wong is thrown off the building and all the people who were shot mm-hmm. were part of Sam's gang members. So it's like, okay, Sam's gang has just taken this to a whole nother level. So Sam really does need to be taken out now. And and that's obviously Lau's opportunity to get rid of the, the boss that he's been loyal to and who still has the capacity. I mean, if Sam wanted to rat him out, then that would, that would flush Lau right down the toilet and his whole career and, and his cover would be blown. And so Lau is living with that danger as well. As long as Sam is around and has all this leverage on me, I'm in incredible danger. And we've just seen what Sam and his gang are capable of doing to Inspector mm-hmm. Wong. I might be the next one on his list for all that. So he's got to go ahead and fix this problem right away. Yeah, and and a good opportunity to do so. And so there's there's another foiled drug deal, and uh, Sam is running away. And you know we're all wondering, is he going to get away? But no. Nope. He's taken out by his yeah. own, by Inspector Lau, who, again, what a feather in your cap. Yeah. I just caught, <laughs> yep. you know, Sam. But it's also for him, the potential, he thinks, erasure of his own connections to that criminal yeah. past. Yeah. Not not necessarily because he's afraid of being a criminal. He's just afraid of the the information and his role in all of these. And this, to him, is complete severance. He is, he's got a clean slate. He, no one can, no one can find him out. Yeah. His, 
his connection to that has now been dispatched. What a mm-hmm. relief. Yeah, right. He he's he's earned bonus points and he's eliminated the greatest source of personal danger that he's dealing with in in one swoop. And I mean, again, that that final sort of showdown between Lau and Sam just another really stylish exhilarating scene you know you've got the the car car the the attempted escape in the <laughs> underground garage the the floor is all slick and wet so you know the, oh, the, yeah. the, the cinematography just the action and then you know when sam's kind of running and and back and forth he's got his long trench coat on so it's a kind of very very stylish and then all of a sudden here comes lao you know gun extended you chose boom takes him out it's it's like the flare it's not just that he took him out it's just like he did it with such impeccable poise and and just the sharpness of of that whole exchange is pretty brilliant <laughs> you know when you talk about the style of it all too i i have not watched this with my kids yet um but <laughs> yeah i i i would actually like to watch this first one with them not all of them you know i have Mm -hmm. one of them's only you know just about to turn eight but the older ones because it's a film that i think is so interesting they'll be captivated by the by the story Mm -hmm. and but they'll also be just like look at how beautiful again (laughs) how flashy all of this is that i just think it's fun for that but at any rate this seems to be a, a great um opportunity for them to uh to maybe both of them be get some reprieve. Right. But Chen, Chen realizes this is no way out for me. If I'm going to actually, you know, recuperate in some way, my, my, who I think I am, my, mm-hmm. my good side, my, my good past, I have to get Lao turned in. I have to, I, I, I can't just let him continue right. to be the, the bad cop on the inside he may he probably won't help me and in fact you know he's not uh lao realizes that there is one more connection that knows mm-hmm. who he is and that's yeah. chan yeah and they so, can't just sort of come clean and say hey folks here's how it is this is what it's been like right. all along let's let bygones be bygones right yeah they yeah they both have pretty devastating leverage on each other even though there's the possibility they could agree to do this cooperatively, but you just don't know where the other one's going to come down. If somebody proposes a deal of that sort. (laughs) Yeah. It seems, I I love that this seems like there might be, Oh, a good resolution. Sam is dead. You know, Mm -hmm. uh, let, let's, let's all go forward. Yeah. Their strings have been cut. They're no longer as, as beholden to these kind of powerful, authority figure pseudo pseudo fathers that they've been reporting to for the past decade you know <laughs> but, but now what more. are they going to do with that freedom or that that at least a possible opportunity right? more layers more paranoia it's not going to end it really isn't going to end right, there is right, no good right. resolution here they don't know it, you know uh, lao doesn't know i don't think at this time doesn't know whether or not chan knows who he is exactly Mm-hmm. You know, they've, they, they, there's potential that Chan doesn't, but, but when Chen, when it becomes somewhat clear that Chen does know and that when Chen re- realizes who it is, you know, we, we see that moment. We, we witness that moment where Chen is struck. I now know He's the, who the, the handwriting, right. The handwriting. Yeah, on, that fold, on that folder. Right. And then, and then Lao realizing what yeah, just when, happened as well. Right. All with, all with quiet, all quiet. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's it. And right. And just the reveals, the little hand scribbled note you know there's lao over at the computer kind of looking at the files and he walks back to his office and sees that 
Chen has like disappeared and he sees that little piece of evidence just kind of been pulled out slightly from the stack yeah. on his desk there and he you know, quickly puts it all together so they realize it's not over it's, yeah <laughs> and and but there's just like this little string if they can just find a way to, to snip that then it's it's done yeah. with yeah yeah and this is one of the more i mean there's a lot of devastating twists yeah. and turns in the film but when lao gets on, f- figures out here's Chen's actual police record and, you know, his mm-hmm. record that he is still in the force in some way, you know, yeah, here's his yeah. past and hits the delete button. Yeah. I just feel so bad for Chen because that, yeah. I don't know. I don't know what it is, but that that is really, he does now get severed from his past in, in, well, in yeah. many ways. And, I mean, what a, what a concept that, your file, your police mm-hmm. file is kind of your identity. It's it's not even your identity. It's like your essence. Like once that has been deleted. Uh, There's no proof uh, of who you were. And, and that right, becomes, right. that actually is an existential crisis right. in a way, because you right. may know who you are in some ways, but all your doubts are going to come to the forefront and no one else can. Yeah, so you, again, you can't prove you? it, right? You you can't say, well, I reported to Inspector Wong, and here's all my records. Convenient, <laughs> yeah, but, but none of that was preserved. Inspector Wong did not want to have an extensive dossier and all of his mm-hmm. illicit, you know, communications with this uh, underground plant. You know, you don't you don't yeah. keep that type of incriminating evidence around. It's in dangerous to do form. that, mm-hmm. right? So now it's just digital information, which you know, it's probably dramatized a bit for the sake of a movie that with one click everything just disappears <laughs> you know but it but it is kind of uh it captures the idea that so much of who we are or our identities in this world are based on you know digital bits files and and uh, connections and and statements uh certificates documents that that mm-hmm. really aren't anything to do with us as physical beings but they say so much and they define again who we are where we can have access what we're allowed to do what we're forbidden to do you know our our rights and our privileges as well as you know those closed off areas are all kind of you know in the hands of some other entities out there um and again, it, it it has a way of sort of shrinking our sense of ourself and you know the vastness of this impersonal world, this massive bureaucracy, this city, this economy, this culture. I mean, you know, Hong Kong as as a this almost metaphor for you know modern future life in the present that's becoming the future, and 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 with the new technology that's shown in these films, just kind of getting. Uh, a perspective on all of that type of stuff that separates us from just sort of the more raw organic physiological aspects of our humanity, you know, or the relational aspects as well. These are just statements, documents, like I say, digital information, but it has such a huge impact on, on the life that we live. Hmm. Well, so yeah. it all so, comes so... down to the rooftop again, in a way. <laughs> That yep. beautiful yeah. scene that you, you talked about on the cover of the yeah. of the box, where when you look at that, I mean, look at Inspector Lau, mm-hmm. so clean cut, you know, white shirt, yeah. uh, coat, and you've got Chen, Chen sitting there with the gun out. He looks like a criminal. Yep. Uh, you know, he he in in and, both physical form and in what he's wearing. And this is his moment, though, where he has finally prevailed, and he is going to do the yeah. right thing and turn. 
Lau in. He's not he's not about right. to shoot Lau. He could. It's right there, but he's not going to. He's going right. to go downstairs and turn him in and figure so here's, this out. Here's the mole. <laughs> this guy is dirty. I've got my own problems, but we're going to just try to clean it up and settle it right work here. through it somehow yeah. yeah yeah and and there's lao very i mean he he is obviously and the submissive end of this little equation here but he's his hands are behind his back he's not cowering mm-hmm. in fear he's not begging for mercy he's sort of like sam and his other scenes where you know he's got guns up against his head too but it's like you know um this is this is kind of where the destiny was apparently leading so yeah we're just sort of clear-eyed look at it and see where where it finally winds up yes exactly with sam the reason that he could sit there calmly is because he did have an ace up his sleeve Mm -hmm. there's something there's something kind of redemptive in a way with inspector lao here he doesn't know what's about to happen he does think he's getting caught and there is an acceptance like you just said, that this is where it's headed. This could be its own relief, frankly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, he, you know, I, I like the twist on why he can be a little bit a little bit calm here. I'm sure he's not calm. You know, he, he right. does still say, hey, I want to be a good person now. But it's all his training, that, all of the, all the mm-hmm. steely nerves that you got to have to be a cop at this level in this world of corruption and hypocrisy and deceit. You basically can't be, you know, shocked and freaked out when you see sort of such a manifestation of that you know he's mm-hmm. been a, he's been pursuing this mole himself so well finally well at least i know who the mole is you know it, you know uh, the, the the cop who's within the gang uh he's he's seeing a mystery solved right there as they, they both confront each other but yeah just this classic standoff situation except there's one more little twist <laughs> oh my gosh <laughs> which i'm yeah, try to, and in trying to make sense of it, you know, you think that finally maybe they they will be able to move on. You don't you don't have a clear idea of the horizon for Chen. Right. You know right. how how is he going to actually get through all of this in in the future and 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 clean up his past? But he's you're going to use this as leverage. Yeah. You know, you see that there yeah. might be some potential, and then lo and behold, there actually is someone else who knows who Lao is. Right. inside the police force who thinks right. this is a good chance for me to to show hey this is our you know we're still criminals in here and shoots chen <laughs> well, the character yeah, we feel most right. sympathy with through oh, the whole film is gone again, dead, just utterly dispatched. stunning when it first happened is like cuz you know like i've i've seen that the part of it has been many years and i i i just watched <laughs> it the one time so that was a good movie pretty pretty powerful pretty pretty gripping pretty shocking but i really didn't know exactly how the double crosses were all going to play out you know because i had not really internalized Mm -hmm. the departed to that level so yeah when when chen is shot by this inspector b who's the other kind of uh, another corrupt Mm -hmm. mole within the police department who you know it's a bit of a deus ex machina where the guy just kind of appears out of nowhere but that's okay we're just we're kind of yeah we learn a little bit. He, he yeah. himself has been, he, he has no intention of reforming. He sees right. his job now as trying to recreate and, and make sure that they build up their connections again with the criminals. Mm-hmm. And so, and he knows who Lao is. So he, he right. has been kind of tracking this right, exactly. and following right. in order to, for us, it's a out of the blue and, and for Lao as well. He didn't know this person existed. Right. Um, 
but for the person, I, well, I'm somebody like, was following him up to the roof. Mm-hmm. You know, he just thought he's going to sneak out the back and meet meet his adversary, and that would be mano mm-hmm. a mano. But nope, there's a there's a third wheel in and, here too. And he's going to pull you back in. Yeah, this Inspector yeah. B is 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 thinking he's done you a favor. Like, oh, it's you know, yeah. sad what happened in the past, but now we can we can move on. You're welcome. And well, yeah, we're, we're kind of insiders now. You know, we got this thing beat. You know, it's like this mm-hmm. is this is awesome, right? I, I, you're, I'm sure you're so grateful for to me yeah. for saving for saving your 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 ass like that. Yeah, whatever whatever um, security Inspector Lau felt in finally shedding the past, yeah. we realize Inspector B was now in fear and getting paranoid because he yeah. felt he felt severed from his security. Now he's alone inside of the police force and he's a criminal. It did. I like the idea of this person having a pretty cool, interesting story too, of paranoia and and security. And then here's his chance now to say, Oh, phew, finally got my, you know, in a way a boss back. Um, And so, you know, the, the, the right thing to do for inspector Lau is to just get rid of him as well in the elevator. This is a great, a great scene. But but and but and then the way it's portrayed in the film is like the the, the elevator door shuts after right. they kind of drag Chen's legs out of the way so the doors can finally close again. Just the brutality of the elevator door opening and closing while his feet are sticking out there is like holy cow. I mean, so the, all these plot machinations, but then you just got this stupid throwaway moment that is just like so devastating but it's not even really focused on it's just sort of happening there you know but then the elevator is going down and it's very similar that descent of the elevator to the opening credit sequence where you've got the you know the kind of the shot going down with all the buddha's heads and you see these like three little rays of light two or three little you know holes that are opened up in the in the roof of the elevator you know bullet holes obviously you hear the bullet shots you don't really know what's gone on in that elevator until it gets down to the bottom and the doors open up and that's the big reveal with all these cops like right there because they've 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 you know, heard the shots they, they know that there's stuff going on and there's Lau flashing his badge i'm a cop <laughs> it's like mm-hmm. oh my gosh <laughs> so yeah because yeah you don't know this is going to be like a big bloody massacre three corpses in there no Lau is spotless he walks out he seems to have really yeah. done it finally yeah yeah and it's just like really incredible powerful conclusion to you know to to that part of the film there's a few other little bits that take place which are again redemptive in the sense that you know chan is kind of given his recognition there's the investigation the proper burial the memorialization all the people coming around to uh you know, to mourn him and pay their respects he was um, a good guy all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even even the woman that he met, you know, very momentarily early in the film, yeah. with her uh, six year old daughter, who's actually a five year old, or, or or you know, yeah, uh, five year old, six year old, whatever. So you know, so there there are all these threads that come together, and and you could have a sense that Chan's uh, Chan's memory has been elevated, and yet has he really escaped? You know, there's an honorable gloss over the surface of it but he's sort of still locked in that hell himself yeah yep and i think it's a fantastic way to end a movie about oh yeah all of yeah this. i mean there yeah. is the alternative ending which oh, we get yes. in yeah. in the uh-huh. uh in the blu-ray that they had to show for mainland china and maybe a few other places that just can't have a, you know kind of similar to the Hayes code you, you can't mm-hmm. have a criminal succeed 
at the end of right. the film. That's just right. morally, we're not going to allow it. So, so they filmed just this tack on ending where Lau walks out after having successfully uh, done all of this. And there are the cops waiting for him. They figured it out, you know, right. somewhere in the past too. And boom, you're, you're done. They slap the cuffs on him. It's like, we know that you're a mole, you're under arrest. And that's Credits. almost pretty much the end of the film. <laughs> yeah. Uh, kind of like those old, uh, you know, 1940s, you know, gangster movies where, you know, the, the crooks are living it up and living the high life. And all of a sudden, boom, they're busted at the end of like in the last 30 seconds, <laughs> they're hauled off to jail. And that's like, yeah. okay, you just sort of have to get that part out of the way. But uh, yeah. And, and then they kind of stretch it out. They make it like a 20 minute scene on the, on the, bonus supplement i i didn't really watch both of them side by side or compare them immediately after each other but it's like they could have just shown us that last little bit there and, and gotten the point across but you know there it is uh <laughs> it's, it's professionally made and certainly was done with the full knowledge that they would have to provide uh, this ending if they were not going to show it in in Beijing and mainland China cities outside of Hong Kong and, and the Western distribution network. So, but yeah, it is kind of a, you know, pretty abrupt finish and, you know, no pun intended, but really a cop-out ending. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'd be so know, disappointed, yeah. you know? Yeah. Oh yeah. If that was really the, the true ending, I was like, Ugh, yeah. what a, what a joke. Yeah. So uh, nice to have as a curiosity. I certainly was yeah. curious and yeah. glad to have seen it, but yeah, you know, whatever on that. Uh, the, the real part is just that this guy's going to keep on going now. He seems to have su- succeeded and Chen is is dead and, and yeah. gone. And, and maybe so that Lau, was his escape, right. you know? Right. Maybe that was the only way it could have happened for him. But And and just the, the ambivalence of, okay, so now there's this cop who's been lauded as a hero. He's taken out to, to the you know, to the world, especially at the moment where he walks out of the elevator, Chen is a gangster, you know, and, and, and there's not even, you know, the, the implication that Lao knew anything about Chen, you know, Lao just thought of Chen as a criminal, like probably any other cop would have, who didn't know the whole backstory. So, so Lao is kind of, um, you know, immune from any kind of criticism or charges of corruption. He really has the, the free, path ahead of him to just pursue, pursue his career as a police officer to rise to ever higher ranks of of prestige and, and recognition within that system and the world may never know just how dirty and corrupt he has been or maybe even would continue to be I mean, and so that kind of loose end that's just kind of hanging out there for the audience to reckon with like i wonder how many cops in our real life system may have that kind of a background or may have those kind of divided (laughs) loyalties. Because I think, you know, again, this, this isn't like a documentary expose, but, but the, the sense that the police, you know, as a, as a force, um, they have their own self-interest and motives and, you know, uh, upholding the law uh, for the sake of just doing what's right is not necessarily a, a motive that we can, blindly trust that is you know driving the police you know or for any one of them individually right yeah in individually organizationally institutionally Mm -hmm. you know it's it's it reminds me of stories you read about like small towns where there's a an economy that's dependent on the prison system and if there's not enough prisoners to keep the the place full then people are going to lose their jobs well you know if crime rates go down or certain things that used to be illegal are no longer illegal 
you're not going to have as many prisoners and that's bad for the economy so what can and we do to get more people in jail right and you know, it's or, easy to right. it's it's easy to make it so that that feels like yeah the moral oh, yeah. option you're right you're you, you just people's livelihoods right you're, you're a politician you're going to run on law and order you're going to lock them up throw away the key uh that's going to you know stir up fears and then alleviate them and people feel like wow my my politician's doing a good job because i don't feel as scared as i once did because you know the rhetoric goes down. so i don't know just it, it opens the door for maybe a, a cynical take or or an assessment of uh, some of those more simplistic narratives that uh we've been taught uh, as young people or as even as young adults about how the world works versus maybe how it really does. And I don't know. And again, um, going back to the cinematography and just the stylistic points, we've talked about the confrontation on the rooftop. And I mean, just describing it hardly does it justice to the beauty of this setting, this setup, you know, with, with all the buildings and the Harbor behind it and the gorgeous, you know, uh, blue skies and the clouds and it just, the whole aesthetic and the atmosphere that's that's created in these these culminating scenes is just pretty outstanding it's kind of just a visual feast uh, and you know there's just i don't know it, it, it stirs up certain emotions and appreciation just to say wow these guys did a really good job <laughs> of, of staging and, and framing uh these these uh kind of classic encounters here so i'm not sure how we're going to do this david we've got two okay. movies left and yeah. if anything they are so much more twisty turny weird and hard to yeah to you know they're and i think so, we could just move through them quicker i think this is the film that this is, is the film it's the shortest it's the masterpiece the the the, the next two provide some some interesting background and context. I've got a few thoughts. All right. So yeah, moving on to internal affairs two. this one did come out in 2003 and it's like an October. Like I think the first one came out in what November of, of or October of 2022. So they really kind of rushed this next two pretty quickly, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Very quickly. And I, I don't know, you get the sense that this is their, and I don't mean this derogatively. I did like this film. Mm-hmm. It's not as good as the first one. It's not as tight but I got the sense that this is a lot of this, the background of these characters that they knew in their heads that mm-hmm. they thought, Hey, we could do that. We, we could tell yeah, the story yeah. about these guys over the decade, decade and a half uh, before internal or infernal affairs and make sure that people understand some of the things that are in infernal affairs that are just touched on lightly or bare, you know, barely there. This will give a little bit more context. Yeah. And I think in particular, what I what I enjoyed about this one was the the background for um, uh, Chief Inspector Wong and yeah. Sam, the the criminal. Right. That's kind of interesting to see their their friendship. Almost they we learned pretty early on used to kind of work together. S- Sam was yeah. an informant, and Wong mm-hmm. would take take those, and you know, so they. They did know each other for a long period of time and had a comp- more complicated than just oh that's the big bad guy I'll go after him. They 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 have right. a a personal relationship. Uh, Both when they were kind of small timers in their respective mm-hmm. fields as yeah. well. You know, um, you know he wasn't you know 
police chief Wong or Commander Wong, whatever his title was. Right. He was just another <laughs> cop, and 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 Sam as well was just one of the one of the many up and comers within the Triad gang, and they kind of knew each other. And and it it is you know some of my comments as I'm kind of thinking back to what I've said in the first you know section of this of this podcast is you know it's hard for me maybe at this point to separate some of my insights about mm-hmm. Sam and and Wong. Uh, from what we learned in the second movie compared to what we get in the first, which really is more, you know, bad guy here, you know, chief inspector there, and and they're just, you know, natural adversaries because they're both in roles of prominence. But here, you're right. I, I really feel like Wong and Sam, or the actors that play them, are, are the real stars of this film, even though you do get a lot of backstory for Chen and Lau as well, and the and the mm-hmm. actors who do the do the you know with the those younger actors that they had cast in the first film very conveniently are right there uh, ready to take uh take on the role of those characters for for film number two and so yeah tony leung and andy lau are not part of this film other than they might show up as a few little flashbacks or you know kind of a problem yeah, right yeah, i mean it is you... yeah <laughs> They, yeah, when you lose your two leads, you know, uh, who yeah. were the star power charisma, uh, you know, as far as the marketing was concerned and their their role, uh, you know, imagine The Departed 2 without Matt Damon and Leonardo DiCaprio, right? Yeah, it just <laughs> right. makes sense, right? And yeah. and it's not that, the, you know, it doesn't lose all of its sex appeal, if we want to talk about it in those turn, right. terms. You know, Edison Chen and Sean Hui, who play the younger, uh, you know, Chen yeah. and Lau, are are both i actually think they might both have modeling backgrounds or at the yeah. very least they're just you know they're uh, so yeah they're again, very to, handsome young guys to talk exactly. about it maybe a little bit in those terms that you do think of when you're thinking of marketing a big movie i mean yeah. i'm not saying this is important to the whole thing or the art needs you know sex appeal but certainly when you lose andy lau and tony leung who have been mm-hmm. you know tearing up the box office um, for a good decade or, or more uh, in in a, in a variety of films. And and we get to know them and care so much about them in the first one. Then you do this this prequel that, I don't know, it, 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 it's, it's a little bit disappointing in that regard. And it does start yeah. to feel like, hey, we just, we, we wanted to throw this stuff together. Um, we've got more to this story. And not only that, but the twisty turniness of this, it's there. But it feels a little bit less, um, I don't know, it, it's not as tight of a plot. Those feel almost like right. they were there because the the you know they wanted Andrew Lau and, and Alan Mack, who, who wrote the films and directed them. It's almost like they thought, well, look at, look at how much success we had with Infernal Affairs 1. And everyone's talking about both the plot, but also the twists and turns and the deep psychology that we're exploring there. Mm-hmm. Let's go dig in on both of those. And maybe right. to a little bit of a less satisfactory, you know, tight, tightly wound plot. We get a lot of, of twisty and turny around Lau's character in particular, as mm-hmm. he's dealing with Sam and Sam's wife. And, you know, just it, it, it's it was it, this was hard for me to follow. Yeah, I, I had to I had to refer to other people's notes and reviews on this film, um, <laughs> both to yeah. watch it as I'm watching it to be like, mm-hmm. wait, what? And afterwards, and in preparation for this episode, because it does yeah. feel like filler. It feels like the background information to a great movie. 
Yeah, there's definitely it feels more force here. Like that that's part of the beauty and the magic of the first one is just like everything falls into place. You you never feel like I mean there are some coincidences, you know, it's it's not naturalism, you know, yeah. at that level, but but it never feels like it serves like, itself that it, way. right. And 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 the, and the elegance and the style uh and the, the smoothness and the clarity with which it's all delivered are like wow, fantastic. They really captured lightning in the bottle here. They they and and the the third movie I think is even more so. They're really forcing this like okay, how can we twist this around and and take them by surprise and there are some of those moments i mean you're right this is a this is a very worthy sequel or or prequel as it turns out to be uh that provides more of that context the backstory of the characters and it really does place it even more into the the distinctive hong kong setting specifically with the colonial turnover uh, in 1997, which sort of serves as the culmination of the of the film, so you've got really this decade of the 90s being portrayed, and a somewhat again ham-handedly time, and then the year kind of zooms into the <laughs> into the screen, and so it's like you're very much told this is what's happening, but it's it's in kind of three phases: 91, 95, 97. So there is kind of a progression, and you're kind of given a chance to sort of jump ahead with these characters, and and kind of know kind of where life is taking them and setting up the the, the pretext for what happens in uh, the original infernal affairs film so yeah it's to me it was yeah just sort of deepening my appreciation for the characters as actual people and human beings um with a particular story to tell rather than these archetypes of like mm-hmm. you know, imagine yourself as a as a kid who wants to be a cop but you're assigned undercover duty in a in a gang or you're a kid who's been brought up as a gangster and now you're put into the cop role you know uh that's kind of like this form and function juxtaposition whereas here now we're getting into their personal stories they're you know and it allows crush on on the, the crime boss's wife you know and getting a little bit outside of his station as he sort of thinks that maybe he and mary could have a little bit of a fling and she bluntly puts them in her place she's a good character she's a strong female character in these right because she is kind of uh that that lady macbeth right who's kind of Mm -hmm. setting up her husband to to rise up in in prominence by getting other underlings to do the dirty work you know so she basically you know sets up the boss of the guy crime family to get killed uh, so that her husband now has an open path to to superiority or supremacy himself although there's other obstacles that need to be removed before Sam finally reaches his destiny. And that's that's where you get to the the character of, played by Francis Ng, who I think is another very strong contributor to this film. He's the uh, respectable son of, of the crime boss who seems to be on a path of upward mobility in terms of legitimate business, maybe politics, maybe yeah. this or that. But when the father is bluntly blown away right at the beginning at the beginning of the film by the Lao character himself um now all of a sudden you know uh, it's, it's very you know very um al pacino godfather ish you know where it's like well i i have to do what the family needs me to do which is i'm going to become a, a crime boss even though maybe my trajectory was was different I'm going to take it on. And so, but, but he plays it with this very understated, dignified way, but ruthless as hell, you know? And, yeah, and very I think violent. That's just a very, very, you know, very quietly uh, executing 
all the dirty business that he has to in order to solidify his his grip on power and perpetuate you know the family's uh, rule over this domain of of organized crime in Hong Kong. So, yeah, some interesting you know tensions and character dynamics, um, and you know getting further into. Um, Chen's story as well and some of the stuff that he has to go through and how he's been kind of assigned to get into the gang, gets himself in jail, gets kind of caught up with all the rough business of, of being in a sort of an, you know, a, a gang member. And so, yeah, you, you're, you're basically exploring these, these different routes that they, that they take to, to, uh, you know, to arrive at the positions that we're familiar with in the first film. And there is a lot of value to that. I think you, you hit it right on the head. The first film, it's moving pretty fast mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, uh, through these relationships and through these characters. And you you know there's more to it. It really does a good job. Of, the, the, the actors do a great job of showing that there's more to what they're doing than just what, they're, what we're seeing on the screen and what they're saying. Mm-hmm. This fills it out. It might not be as satisfying as a film in and of itself, but I do think it retroactively makes the first film have more that we you know i i agree with you i think a lot of what we discussed with that first film is probably informed by these two sequels in mm-hmm. a very satisfying way yeah. and i i think p- probably is one of the reasons why uh anthony wong as inspector wong and eric saying as as sam the the crime chief becomes so much bigger for me yeah in in the first film you know it, Sam isn't just kind of a buffoonish, weird, you know, kind of creepy crime lord. There's, we, we see here his, his, the really rough road he had to go right. in order to get where he's going. I'm not saying he was right. That's not what I mean no. by rough, but, but he was willing to make a lot of sacrifices and, and live through a lot of fear and paranoia that doesn't end, but he was willing to go through it in order to get where he is in that first film. And they do look younger. You know, yeah. he, he mm-hmm. Wong and, and Sam look younger in this film. I don't know how they did that, but they do really look pretty. It, it's believable as mm-hmm. we see them playing out their roles a decade before the first film. And I really liked that. I, yeah. I, I really did enjoy seeing that. And I and we also get a little bit more, like you said, about Chan's character and some of the close calls he has of being caught years mm-hmm. before, you know, the events in, in Infernal Affairs. And that just deepens our understanding that, man, this this guy has had years of paranoia and crime because we also see him perform more crimes in this film. Right. Um, and including a very violent where he is being tested. And, you know, Sam calls and says, hey, I want you to take the ashtray that's in front of you and beat the person you're talking to. Yeah. Who's and just so, they're talking business and yeah. they're not presenting any real danger to him. Just no risk. Can can you be a cold blooded assassin? Will you do that just by taking orders, right? And you know the thing that I liked about how the film presents that is in my head I could see in in many filmmakers, let's let's slow that down. Mm-hmm. Let's have, you know, you know you know, 10 seconds of him sitting there looking at the ashtray and then his face in the ashtray. Yeah. And then he'll <laughs> right, do it. Right. This one, it's like, click, boom, he does it. Brutal, and there's yeah. not yeah. much of a mm-hmm. moment to reflect. It's it's It punches you as the viewer as well, because you kind of, this is a good guy, right? We, we like him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But look how fast and easily he is. He has made the decisions beforehand. He's going to do these things and he's, he's doing it. 
Right. Well, he's been conditioned. I mean, that's that's part of his training. It's it's a certain necessity for his own survival. If he pushes back or says, you know what, I don't think this guy deserves that, you know, or right. is there some other way, you know, that I can that show my loyalty. You are not here for your brain. <laughs> right, right. No, I just, you're told what to do, you do it. Again, you know, I, I, I think about the popularity of these crime genre films with so many audiences around the world. And, and even though I'm sure a relatively small percentage of the people who appreciate these films are actually leading lives of, of that level of criminality. Uh, how much do we r- relate to this idea of being told what we're supposed to do and having to fulfill mm-hmm. uh, expectations that we may not believe in with our heart and soul? Um, and they may even be things that are really distasteful or, or even uh, despicable in our own views, but that's just what has to be done, you know? Um you know, we, we see we see situations of, uh, you know, police violence and other kinds of, you know, corruption at high levels uh, where you've got to figure the people in that situation. And this is just how it is. But, but there's some FBI situation where uh, a guy has been called out for having very high level connections to Russia uh, and that he was one of the guys inspecting <laughs> Russian uh, interference in the election in 2016. So it's like you've got people who are very highly placed in positions of, of, of authority and responsibility who are pretty thoroughly corrupt, it would seem, who are doing things that are completely against you know the position that they've been placed in. And yet they have some sort of moral calculus that says, well, I'm doing what I have to do because this is what needs to be done according to whatever loyalties, mm-hmm. priorities, uh, allegiance that, they, that they've that they sworn. And th- that's basically where this whole police versus triads thing comes down. It's like they're all people running a certain enterprise and doing what they think has to be done to perpetuate uh, whatever side of the you know situation that they're they're functioning in and and so yeah seeing more of this triads business and and some of the different you know underlings the gandhi and negro and and all of the you know they decide well now that the big guy family boss is dead we don't have to pay our allegiance money to them anymore you know until young guy gets on the phone and says well you know what (laughs) i've got some evidence that you might be interested in it's like oh I guess we're not as free to cut loose from this uh, racket as we thought we were uh, because the kid is just as ruthless and as, you know, intense as his old man was, even though you would think that to look at him. Right. So it's just Mm -hmm. really fascinating just to kind of see these, these tangled webs and, and uh, all, all of the, you know, just all, all of that ambiguity and and moral uh, complexity portrayed so swiftly and effectively uh, through these films. Well, let's, let's look at Infernal Affairs three. Yeah, it came sure. out two months later in December mm-hmm. of 2003. <laughs> yes. And it's, so it's hard to say, well, they learned their lesson. They need to bring back in Andy Lau and Tony Leung. They mm-hmm. must've already known they needed to do that and have been, you know, producing and, and working on all of these. But here we get kind of the, we we have two timelines. It's almost like The Godfather mm. 2. We have a timeline yeah. right before Chen's death, that kind of the timeline of Infernal Affairs 1. Mm-hmm. And then we have about 10 months and 11 months after Chen's death when we deal with Lao's continuing paranoia and realization 
I still am not the only one that Sam planted here and the others are coming to get me. You know, right. in particular, and there's the one curiosity. that we know about. Yeah, and, oh, and just the well, the curiosity of what's going to happen to Lao after he walks out of that right. elevator. Other they than the, know. The, <laughs> right, other than the memorial that we saw, you know, to Chen at the end of uh, Infernal Affairs one, mm-hmm. um, Lao has this whole life ahead of him. What's it going to be like? How is he going to, you know, clean up this mess and and stay in this position of, of respectable authority that you know he's he finds himself in? So so there there is a lot of curiosity. I mean, I, I feel like. There was plenty of material to justify uh, Infernal Affairs 2 as a prequel that did not involve uh, Leung and Andy Lau. So, so that's fine. I, I, and, I, and all that historic context that we talked about it was there. I feel like Internal, Infernal Affairs 3 is kind of like, kind of like the encore, if you will. Yeah. Like if, you, if you've been at a concert and the band has kind of run through all of their hits and done all the big numbers... <laughs> But the audience just wants a little bit more, so let's bring the band back out there. We'll, we'll bring back, you know, you know the the, the main headliners. Uh, we'll bring in a couple bits, you know, maybe an instrumental guest or whatever for something different. But it's just going to be kind of like let's just kind of do a, a cover song of some rock and roll classic. And to me, that's what, what Infernal Affairs Three kind of feels like. Is just we'll bring all of the characters. We're going to enhance the. Uh, the Kelly Chen, I think is her name, the, the psychiatrist. We're going to have a little bit of romantic comedy in there so that Tony Leung and, and uh, Kelly can do their whimsical thing. Uh, we're going to bring back, you know, the, the younger guys as well to give them a little bit more prequel. But it almost becomes a little bit of a parody of itself with all the time jumping back and forth and, you know, at 10 months and a week later and two days before that. And it's just, you know, kind of <laughs> a little bit ridiculous towards the end of like, they have to keep giving you all these time cues or one month later. And it's like, Oh gosh, this is kind of getting a bit silly and over the top here, but yeah. you know, it, you take it for what it is. It's like the frosting on the cake. Um, in some ways it, it, it doesn't work quite as well. And I don't know that I have as much to say about the film in terms of analyzing its greatness. Um, but it is kind of the, the capstone, if you will, on the story. And, and I don't know, I mean, there are, there are actually some things that I think could be criticized as like not really working so well, or just being a little bit over the top, like the whole kind of persona type of thing that happened toward the end when Andy Lau is kind of seeing himself as, as Chen's, double or or becoming him or the hallucinations it's like well that's a little flamboyant there i guess maybe that could have happened like that but it felt like we're again sort of stretching or forcing into some kind of loftier type of statement Mm -hmm. that uh sort of take it or leave it i guess you know i'm not gonna like come down on the film negatively like i've definitely read some very critical reviews or people who almost wish it had never been made it's it is what it is you know and i think right it was a bit of a of a even you could even say a commercial cash in um but you know i don't begrudge the filmmakers that you get to see some great performers and you know they, they have to sort of declare where they're going to go with this story rather than keeping it open-ended where listeners or viewers can kind of uh, imagine their own destinies for uh what's going to happen with these characters afterwards, which I'm still going to do. Right. (laughs) Yeah. I I don't, I don't need this film. I I'm fine with this film. I've seen it and it does push a little bit too hard into the, Hey, you, you thought that Tony or that, um, you know, that Laos would, would be haunted by this. Yeah. 
well, I'm going to show you now. And in fact, the last <laughs> bit is going to be right. him writing out the words hell, you know, it's like, yeah, it's yeah. not. And, and I'm like, I didn't, I didn't need that. I knew that for you did such a good job in the first mm-hmm. film of showing me that this is awful yeah. <laughs> yeah. and that it's not going to end. There is no reprieve. There is no uh, finality to this. There's inspector, you know, the, the big B that you mm-hmm. killed at the, the last one. I bet he's not the only one who knows who you are right. in this world. You didn't end it. And so I, I like the open-endedness of that, but yeah. I also didn't, didn't hate this one. I will admit wh- when I, when I went back to revisit it, cause I watched it back in November, I didn't remember this one very well <laughs> at all. Yeah. Yeah. And right. I, I, the parts that I could remember were the stylish stylistic parts mm-hmm. where they're like, typing on their keyboards and doing work yeah. at night. And, tra- you know, those are the parts that stuck a lot of the plot points, a lot of the, uh, the rest of this just really drifted away is kind of irrelevant because I already yeah. had in mind the, the greatness of the first film informed by the second film. Mm-hmm. And then this just, you know, it does feel like a little bit of like, like you said, the encore, I'm not going to be talking about the encore, for, right. you know, in most situations. Um, and so, yeah, I don't, I don't have a ton to say about it myself. Um, other than I'm, I'm really still glad we have the whole set here. Um, invaluable to think about all of these things and to see it all at once. Even if, you know, I, I love that we get to enjoy talking about and thinking about even the films we don't enjoy, mm-hmm. you know, I think that's <laughs> yeah, right. awesome. And, yeah, and the, yeah. the criterion set presents it all for us to do that and to, to take it as it is and to do the evaluation and and to hear what others have to say. And I really enjoyed, enjoyed the, the, the anticipation of the third film. Mm -hmm. I did enjoy watching it. Like I didn't, I don't find any of that to be a throwaway experience. I, you know, I still really, really enjoyed it, even though I would say it's very much the lesser of all of these and um, probably will be the one that I watched the least. But I'll return to it someday. Yeah, I mean, the first one is because of its efficiency and just so many classic scenes and set pieces and the mood that it conjures. You know, that's that's an undeniable masterpiece. I think the second one is very worthy context for people who want to invest in the characters. And the third is, again, just a chance to enjoy some some great performances, some more of that Hong Kong ambience, uh, you know, a little bit more of a, you know, exploration of some of the implications of ideas that were brought up in the first and second, um, and 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 parts that you know, again feel free to dispose of or dismiss. You know, the the shootout right there in the infernal internal affairs department there. That's that just seems a bit much. You know, if you really want to step back and think about it, um, that 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 culminates in Lao's attempted suicide. Except it's not yeah. really as faithful as you thought. I mean, I thought, well, that's it. So they're all dead now, you know, but well, no, he's actually survived that. And then, <laughs> yeah. And then the hallucinations of, of, uh, of his, you know, Mary, his, his you know, Sam's dead, now dead wife showing up behind him and shooting him. It's like, they're, they're kind of gestures that really don't mean anything. They're kind of stylistic flair or flourish. Um, they have a momentary effect, but they don't really make a whole lot of sense. I guess, probably in the script writing they can justify it and all of that but you know it those it was it's just moments to sort of 
you know, capture a sense of the feel. Um, I, I'm kind of reminded of the Matrix movies, which I'm actually a pretty big fan of all four of them now. But, you know, when the original Matrix came out, it was another big stylistic, like, whoa, nobody had ever seen anything quite like that before. Obviously, much more of a science fiction, you know, scenario than anything we see here. But, you know, at the end of that first Matrix film, there's a whole sense of, wow, where are these, where's, where's Neo going to go next? What's going to happen with that character? Well, matrix two and three kind of tell you what happens and a lot of people didn't like that they liked their own preferred imagination mm-hmm. of what happened better and, and didn't i didn't really that. like the digging down into the philosophy so much more right. like you touched right. on it in the first film and then i was right. able to go and explore it a, a Here cool like, reference right right, right. right. <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah so that's that's basically where we're at with with the second and third i mean but but the third um you know, actually, I apparently did pretty decent box office. It did better than part two, which seems weird to me, kind of counterintuitive. Like if you're going to and of course, neither of them matched the number, the, the first one. But I, I wonder if the third did better just because it does have uh, Tony Leung and Andy Lau and people might want to just check that out more times. Or maybe maybe the fact is that people had to see it twice just to try to make sense of what was going on there. So it did better at box office that way. So, yeah, like I said, I've heard a lot of negativity about number three. Um, That's just not my nature to to dump on a film where, especially when it's got so many, you know, positive connections to the original and uh, and it it has merit of its own, but certainly would not have worked as a standalone. And um, it does feel, feel a bit (laughs) gratuitous, but I, yeah, I I like the way that how it ends with that return to the, uh, to the stereo shop, you know, and again, putting that in a little bit more context than the incidental encounter that we see at the beginning of the original infernal affairs. uh, And again, I, I think it, puts it on that kind of nice little loop like this cycle is just going to keep playing itself out forever and ever and ever and ever and and that's what these characters destiny has come down to so it's like yeah you know kind of again a nice sort of existential um twist to to throw into the culmination of this little saga yeah i wonder so with the film with the second film information informs the first one new information and this one it's the feelings it's some of these images it's the it's the hi-fi shop it's it's that stuff that i think goes back and helps inform the first one and probably does for me you know rewatching the first one i might not be thinking of this the third film right but i might be feeling some of the third film seep into it that way and i'm totally okay with that yeah it, it, you know you get a little bit more of why there's a connection between chen and his psychiatrist i mean mm-hmm. cuz you know that's really cuz almost like a throwaway bit in the first oh, yeah. film it's a pretty major piece of of number 3 here um, and you know, I almost forget about them being mm-hmm. in the third film and not the first one because right. again, it all it all does kind of work itself back into it. Maybe we'll have to have the the uh, chronological cut where all the sequences are put. <laughs> in order. Oh boy! <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I'll let somebody else do all the editing on that. One Upload it to YouTube. Let's see where this goes. It would be interesting. Yeah. It really would be. Yeah, yeah. But. Well, the, and the box itself, you know, you, yeah. you already talked about how nice that cover is. I think it's very flashy, too. You open it up and you see that persona image you were talking about a yeah. minute ago. Yeah. Yeah. Oops, I'm dropping mine all over the desk. Um, <laughs> and I'm glad they didn't put that as the cover. I'm glad oh, they kind no, of kept this no. blue, you know, sky and this, that nice thing. But I'm glad we get to open it up and see that again. That certainly informs mm-hmm. uh, some of the stuff that's going on in it. 
um, I really do like this this whole set. There's a nice booklet that that oh, man. I keep shutting my box and can't pull it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, inside the booklet, there's there's it's an actual booklet, but it does mm-hmm. only have yeah. one essay, which I thought was probably fitting and telling. Yeah. There's just one essay. It's double bind by Justin Chang. It doesn't have, as these often do, one about every film. Right. But again, it's one story that's being told. Right. Here. We we a lot of our trilogies that you and I have talked about just are thematic trilogies, and the films right. have more of, of the that goes along on their own. It's not like not quite like this blockbuster, you know, one two three. So it definitely is fitting. Has a lot of nice images from from inside the film. Honestly, when I look through it, it makes me want to watch the films again because the visuals yeah. are so good. I just really like watching these, even if oh, I had yeah. the sound off and wasn't mm-hmm. paying attention to the plot. They're they're very captivating in the way they're shot. I really and and the box just reminds me of all that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'd say you know there have been box sets that have been more stacked with supplements, but I think what you get here is pretty good. You get a nice half hour or so interview. That was filmed uh, in Hong Kong by the Criterion Collection between the two directors. Uh, that just, you know, it's very nice because it's kind of like a 20th anniversary. This was a ni- or 2002 film. Of course, it was filmed, the, the supplement was made in 2022. And it was released pretty much right on the 20th anniversary. So it's a very nice commemorative edition. Other than that, all the, all the other features seem to be ports from earlier releases, trailers, making ofs. Yeah. And, and the making ofs are really like 10, 12 minutes at most. Uh, there's two commentary tracks, commentaries on one and two both in Cantonese, so you have to read the subtitles and you don't get the film subtitles. But I actually found that that was actually a pretty satisfying process. I thought, oh my, I'm not going to be able to follow the dialogue while the commentary is playing because I would obviously have to read it. But it did actually allow me just to focus on the visual elements and the, the body language. And there's a lot of communication through looks and gestures. You don't have to always read the words that are being said. Obviously, it helps. But especially if you haven't seen the film before, but um, listening to the commentary and just watching the visuals actually was, 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 was a worthwhile way of revisiting and experiencing these films. Again, I wouldn't mind if they had a commentary on number three, because there's a lot of stuff that could maybe use some helpful (laughs) with exposition, but the story of the making of the films really is told in those first two commentaries and sort of reinforces the idea that, number three was a bit of an appendage just to kind of wrap up the process and, you know, make some more money. <laughs> Maybe an unintentional uh, yeah. underlining of that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, all right. Well, we do have plans for the future. Yes. And, yes. you know, not to, not to just put a, a cap on this. I'm excited to go back and visit these films. As I said, I think I want to with at least, you know, one of my older sons who, yeah, yeah. who even clear back, you know, when he was, uh, you know, eight or so, I think sat down to watch um, a, a few of these foreign language films with me. Yeah. Um, I, I think Dragon Inn came out at about that oh, time. Sure. And, right, and right. he sat down and watched that with me. Yeah. And I don't know quite why, because I don't think he fully, you know, I'm excited to watch this one with him and see what mm-hmm. happens. But, but we are also thinking about the future. And yes, what's sir. coming next for Inside the Box? And we have a good candidate uh, yeah, for good. our very next uh, next episode here, that'll come out here in a couple of months or so. 
You want to tell us what it is? Sure. David? It's it's the Katsi trilogy by uh, was it Jeffrey or Godfrey Reggio? I think is it Godfrey Reggio? Uh, uh, well, <laughs> yeah. Well, anyways, Reggio is Godfrey. Now that you say it, it is, I'm yeah. like, hmm. well, right, yeah. <laughs> anyways, but yeah, uh, Koyana Scotsi is like one of my personal top ten films of all time, and uh, we didn't just choose it for that, but I thought, you know, I would really like to visit those films again the the second and third again a little bit diminished reputations i think they're all worthwhile and looking forward to a revisit but that's what we're going to be doing oh maybe another couple months down the road there yeah i'm excited i I can't you know very different from these films um (laughs) which is the beauty of of this collection and and what we what we why we like to sit down and do all of this is that there's such variety and we'll be in a completely different headspace with, with these oh, yeah. films. So. Oh, yeah. yeah. All right. Well, thanks for your time today, David. We'll talk I to know. you soon. Been a good time, Trevor. Thanks a lot. <laughs>